you'd be surprised at how many like really low hanging fruit strategies there are that just don't exist because the tools haven't existed up to this point, right? Things like looping strategies, things like delta neutral staking. These are these do not require like massive amounts of uh, you know off chain alpha and proprietary information. Really, in some of these pro some of these cases, it's just you need someone who's doing the the computations, right? And you need a system that's able to run these strategies in a non custodial, decentralized, transparent way. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Zero X Research, a, a show brought to you by Flipside and Chainalysis. Today, we've got an awesome interview scheduled with uh, Somalier, a Cosmos chain that's kind of aiming to democratize yield opportunities on different EVM compatible chains. We are joined by Zaki, who everyone probably knows by now, who's a core contributor to the Cosmos ecosystem and a co-founder of Smolier. But then we also have Sun, who's a strategist of the protocol. So it's really an interesting conversation to get both perspectives. Uh, but as usual, we're joined by Matt and a new face, David, from the BlockWorks research team to go through a little hot seat, cool throne. So David, I'll pass it over to you to kick it off. Yeah, I appreciate that. And thanks for you know having me on here. So uh, on my second week here at BlockWorks research uh, and you know came from being an avid listener to an actual speaker here. So the come up is real. Um, so to kick it off, my cool throne is Coinbase. Um, hopefully not in bad taste, uh, but this week they announced that they are going to be laying off about 20% of their staff in an effort to cut their OPEX spend uh, about 25% quarter over quarter. Uh, so they're really doing what's necessary and tightening their belts in the depths of this bear market that we're in right now. Um, apparently the market liked the news. So the stock market, uh, the stock pumped about 13% on the day when the announcement came out and they're about uh, they're up about 34% uh, this week so far. Um, you know, they provided some additional Q4 insights uh, with their recent 8K report uh, sh showing that in Q4, they are going to be losing about $500 million, uh, which is within their guardrail that they told investors earlier on in 2022. Uh, but if you look at Q3 numbers and look at their potential to cut 25% quarter over quarter in their OPEX spend, this leads to about $300 million in OPEX savings every quarter. Uh, about uh, $200 million net income lost every quarter, which actually extends their runway by a few years uh, based on their current revenue uh, stream so far. This doesn't include revenue streams coming from Coinbase ETH and also USD interest payments going up with uh, the Fed hiking rates over the past couple of quarters. Uh, so there's a really good chance that in 2023, we see Coinbase going from cash flow negative to either neutral or, or positive by the end of the year. So um, I think they're doing what's necessary and I'm excited to see what happens. I love it. Yeah, we've been talking about coin a while uh, now on, on the past like three or four episodes. And I know Matt Hogan kind of kicked it off in the Bitwise episode, but I agree. I mean, it, they have 80 million active users every month and they've also got, uh, you know, their, their liquid staking derivative, which is going to garner significant revenue. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm bullish on Coinbase. And I also like the way Brian Armstrong handled the layoffs. He actually like posted a, a page that was like, these are the people who are working here, everything you need to know about them, please reach out to them if you're hiring in the crypto space. So I thought that was pretty respectable as well. Yeah, additionally, I think that Coinbase is pretty well positioned with their liquid, with their CBE liquid staking derivative to, you know, increase revenue in the coming years. Um, you know, a lot of people, I think, prefer to use Coinbase than maybe like a Lido or a decentralized alternative just because it's more familiar to them. So I'm also a huge fan of Coinbase. Um, it's very upsetting and sad that they laid off all these people. I hope that they find jobs. But I do think that it's probably overall good for them. And the market uh, definitely agreed with that. One thing that was weird was right after the layoff announcements, before the market opened, it actually went down. I forget exactly how much, but somewhere in the ballpark of 10%. And then throughout the day, once the market opened, it actually ended the day up 10%. So it's pretty crazy to see that volatility. 
but I do think that uh, it corrected itself. Yeah, I don't know if Coinbase is the real uh, cool throne here or if it's Sam who like a week or two ago told us to be- purchase some uh, 2025 options, uh, call options on coin. So I don't know. I think I think Sam's the real nominee here. Yeah, I have blown up an options account before, so do not follow my trades. I, I, any wins I get, I will lose them eventually. So I appreciate you putting me in that spot, but I don't know. I probably won't stay there for long, but... Dan, that's probably a good segue to, to kick it over to you for uh, your hot seat of the week. Yeah, for sure. So I actually have BitDAO queued up. Um, so, you know, I tweeted in mid-December they you know, put how they were pushing this governance proposal through to repurchase $100 million worth of Bit. Um, and that ended up passing and going into effect on Jan 1. So over the past, you know, they're recording this episode on January 12th. And over the past 12 days, they've been buying uh, $2 million of Bit tokens per day. Uh, so they're going to do that for 50 days and hit that $100 mark. Now, this comes at a very suspect timing uh, when there is an, a big bit unlock. So the token is bit uh, is bit uh, a bit unlock of just under 2% coming. And that is ironically currently worth $80, $84 million and they're doing a $100 million buyback. So I don't know. That's... You know, you, you see these things like big announcements or product releases or, you know, uh, token buybacks. And then, of course, you go check uh, token unlocks. And what do you know? We have, uh, you know, I think the, the the phrase here that commonly gets used is engineered exit liquidity, uh, which is hilarious, right? Like, is that what they're doing intentionally? You know, no one will ever know. But this isn't the first time we've seen things like this. Like DYDX has a massive, massive unlock, like some 60% of the supply. Uh, and that comes, you know, right when they're trying to launch their their Cosmos app chain, their V4 platform. Um, you know, Ape has an Ape token has an unlock coming. You know, we recently saw staking go live. Uh, it's just like token releases seemingly fall right in line uh, with product development, which is interesting. Yeah, I definitely think that it's going to be interesting to watch this year how all the OG DeFi protocols whose vesting schedules are completely finished, all these newer protocols that were come up that have their vesting periods kind of start for investors and founders, how it actually affects the market. And if I had to bet, I would think that ETH just continues to outperform all of the applications built on top of it, just because it doesn't have that structural uh, supply dynamic of inflation. So I just pulled up the chart and it looks like on the last five bit token unlocks, it fell 16%. 40%, 20%, 22%, and 42%, and now since August of last year. So it's pretty crazy that, you know, these BitDAO unlocks really have lined up pretty much exactly with huge drops in the price. And it, this engineered exit liquidity is the right word. And, you know, token unlocks are just one example of it. Um, it's pretty crazy that it's so common in this space. And I think that people should be aware of that, and hopefully our listeners are. Is there any such thing as bullish unlocks in a bear market? Or is that just a bull market thing? Yeah, I think a big part of it has to do with the perks are listed. Like if people, you know, if the people getting these token unlocks, funds, people, organizations, whatever, have the ability to go hedge out their risk ahead of time, they're probably going to do it. But, you know, if there's no perps listed or if the perps are liquid, realistically, the unlocks are probably not good for the price. Matt, you want to go ahead and uh, carry on with your hot seat of the week? Yeah, so my hot seat this week, it's kind of obvious, like a give me, but it's DCG as well as DCG's portfolio companies. So in case you've been living under a rock, DCG or Digital Currency Group, it's kind of a conglomerate. They own a bunch of, well, DCG itself, it's a VC fund. They invest in seed rounds and early stage rounds for different crypto companies, but they also own Coindesk. They own Genesis, um, as well as I believe a couple companies I'm missing. Um, Grayscale, whatever. I think that those would be the three. Anyways, there's been a lot of rhetoric recently about DCG being having a hole in their balance sheet due to Genesis. 
So basically Genesis lent, made a big loan, I believe it was around $2 billion to Three Arrows Capital. Three Arrows Capital defaulted on it there after the collateral liquidation. It sounds like Genesis was left with about um, somewhere in the range of a billion, a billion three in, you know, in assets that they were not able to cover. DCG gave them a promissory note that they were going to cover this loss. But in reality, it was actually, there was no money given. It was just kind of a promissory note that they would cover it. So it sounds like there's a lot of trouble there from this morning, Financial Times and our Reuters echoed this, that there's $3 billion currently owned to, owed to Genesis creditors. Supposedly, DCG is looking to liquidate some of their portfolio companies. So these include Chainalysis, BitGo, Blockchain.com, Brave, Circle, Coinbase, Coinmetrics, Dune, Etherscan, the list goes on. Pretty much every big company, a huge portion of the big companies in crypto, DCG has actually invested in. So these companies might see, you know, it's not good for DCG. It's not good for the portfolio company. It's not good for anyone. Um, Financial Times says that it's about $500 million in value of this, these portfolio companies. I'm not sure if that's true. I'm not even sure if the $3 billion is true. The only thing that's really confirmed is that they owe $900 million to Gemini and another $300 million to BitBavo. So, you know, it's kind of still unfolding, but they're definitely in the hot seat. If that $3 billion liquidity hole is real, that's a problem. If you look at back in November, I want to say November 2nd, a week before the top of the bear market in 2021, DCG raised, uh, they sold about $700 million of stock to Alphabet and SoftBank, I believe, for a $10 billion valuation at the time, peak bull market valuation. Ever since then, almost every single publicly traded stock uh, that's related to crypto, as well as you know tokens themselves, are down 80, 85, 90%. So that means the entire, the parent company of Grayscale, and if Grayscale is $3 billion to their creditors, the entire parent company that owes, owns you know the handful of other arms that you discussed, that entire company might only be worth $2 billion today. So we don't know if the hole's you know, real or not, but no matter how you slice it, DCG and Grayscale in, in particular is in a really tough position. Yeah, that $10 billion valuation just blows my mind. I remember when Amazon acquired Whole Foods and like all their assets like for $10 billion. So if you think about that in comparison, that's pretty wild. Um, I don't know. Did you guys see Barry's like thread that he tweeted about i i personally saw like a lot of like really negative quote tweets responses and i know like he was the guy behind the wheel but he seemed pretty genuine in it i'm, I'm curious if you guys had any opinions on his take yeah i mean barry's been around since the beginning he's one of the most og crypto people that's still active in the space i have so much respect for him um you know i would never say that he i, I would never imagine or assume that he did anything like really bad I think it was kind of just a terrible situation and that he got caught in the crossfire of a lot of other bad contagion going on in the crypto industry over the last year. So like, I'm still a huge fan of Barry and I hope that him and his companies are able to pull out of this. I suppose I can kick it over to myself for uh, my cool throne of the week. I'm going to go with uh, G-Trade. It's uh, Gains Network. The governance token is GNS. They just launched on Arbitrum and you're seeing basically up into the right growth between uh, both Polygon, where they kind of originated, and on Arbitrum, like metrics in terms of you know users, fees generated, volume, open interest, etc. They're kind of like the only venue that you can trade forex, uh, which is pretty attractive in this like macro heavy of a bear market. So I expect that their success will continue. 
Uh, I also found it interesting that you basically are getting 20 to 25% yield being an LP in their dive vault, which has been completely redesigned in like a much better way ever since they kind of faced some troubles with the UST Luna collapse back in May of this year. So they're just actually innovating. And it's one of the few perps projects that isn't just copy and pasting, you know, GMX code. So I'm bullish on them. And uh, yeah, I'm going to keep watching them watching them succeed hopefully yeah the the forex thing is super weird to me like who who is trading this right because if you think about like obviously that's one of the most liquid markets in the world but the people trading it are like multinational corporations or international banks like people who actually are hedging currency risk uh that is not what's going on on gains network you cannot convince me otherwise so i'm like okay so then then the second group of people that trade forex are like instagram influencers like are these people just like 100x leveraging these trades i don't know that just seems such a strange thing to me uh, but if it's working good for them no, my, my thesis is it's Suzu and Kyle Davies. They were Forex traders back in the day before they got into the crypto space. They're trying to make it all back in one trade on Gains Network. So just wait for the Gains Network symbol to be next to uh, Suzu's Twitter uh, profile page in a few months time. We'll know. That's a funny theory, David. Yeah, I don't, it's pretty wild though. I mean, they've done 23 billion or so in lifetime volume and GMX has done 90 and 70% of that volume historically, I believe is 4X. So I do think they're winning that race. And then if you can get some of those Arbitrum DGENs from GMX over to Gains Network, I could really see Gains flipping GMX in volume and fee revenue. Uh, that's a that's a hot take right there. And I'm probably going to get some nasty replies in the comments on that one, but I, I would stand by it. One thing I really like about Gains is that they seem less afraid to like they have not only do they have Forex listed, but they also have synthetic equity equities. You can trade, I believe, synthetic Tesla, Apple, a couple other ones. Um, and I think that that's huge. Obviously, it brings some regulatory concerns potentially. But when you compare it to like a DYDX, a GMX, a Quenta, who don't have those same assets listed, I think it really gives them a leg up. Um, kind of similar to like maybe how like Sushi Swaps are willing to return real revenue to token holders. Like GNS just doesn't care if they're, they're, they're not scared of the regulators. Um, so although maybe that brings problems in the future, I do think that that's good for, you know, token holders and traders and just for their edge in the space for now. As an honorable mention, I was curious if anyone saw that AWS partnership with Avalanche. Um, like, is that a nothing burger or is that... Does that have some weight, David? I know you got some opinions on this one, so. Yeah, that, if we would have done another round of hot takes, I probably would have put Avalanche on there. Uh, just being in the space for, for probably a little bit too long. I remember the bottom of the 2018, 2019 bear market, multiple blockchains that really nobody ever heard of were announcing Amazon partner network sponsorships with, with AWS, one-click deployment of nodes to enable compliance and enterprise, oh, sorry, enterprise blockchain adoption. Um, still bullish on Avalanche like what they're doing with subnets um i think it's a little maybe a little too early for for them to take off but um got you know some bear market 2018 2019 vibes from that uh so that's really my take on that right now yeah i think that's a, a good time to flip it over to uh dan for chart of the day but before i do i want to take a moment to thank uh chain analysis they're they're an incredible sponsor and they also just dropped their 2022 kind of year in review uh, crime report. So they basically found that 0.24% of all transaction volume on chain is illicit activity. But they also said 
that the reason for this growth, the first time it's actually grown since 2019, is because of the OFAC sanctions on Tornado Cash and then also the large amount of bridge exploits. There's like a lot more information in the report and they also have a lot of really cool courses online. So we'll link to that in the show notes and I highly recommend you check it out. And to jump into the Flipside Dash review, uh, we actually have a another BlockWorks research special here. So this one is actually built by Effort Capital himself. Uh, so. It's again built using Flipside data. I just took a screenshot of it. Um, yeah, I've, I've had this around for a, a day or so now, so it's good to have it. Um, but it's a really interesting chart effort. You want to take us through this? Yeah. So pretty much uh, what you're looking at here is the largest uh, in, in a given month. What liquidity pools on Osmosis are seeing the largest capital inflows or out outflows by liquidity providers? You know, in, in a given month, uh, and this is bucketed by each uh, individual liquidity pool by uh, USD. So what we're seeing right now in the month of January, again, January 12th, uh, for, for those listening, uh, the largest liquidity outflows by liquidity providers in the month of January so far is in the wrapped ETH osmosis pool. Um, at the beginning of the month, it, that pool in particular had about $12 million liquidity. And right now it's sitting at about $9 million liquidity. So it's lost almost $3 million, uh, you know, month to date. Um, my thesis is you saw a large outflow of liquidity uh, around January 5th, January 6th. My thesis is that with the whole uh, liquid, uh, liquid staking derivatives narrative, a lot of people are starting to get bullish on, on uh, staked ETH and, and uh, different variations of that, like Rocket Pool and StakeWise and whatnot. So there could be a lot of uh, wrapped ETH outflows happening from Osmosis, going back to ETH main chain, deciding to liquid stake it, and then try to double on their yields. Uh, in, you know, potentially their ETH DeFi or potentially if, if Osmosis comes back with like a staked ETH liquidity pool, um, you know, you could see liquidity come back to, to the Osmosis chain. But uh, that, that's really my thesis on why you're seeing such large capital outflows to, uh, right now. The TVL chart of Osmosis is is pretty sad, honestly. But uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't really surprise me. We see ETH outflows from Osmosis potentially like you know, that narrative doesn't seem to to shock me. You know, we have Mars Protocol coming to the Cosmos ecosystem, which I really do think has a really big catalyst potential to kind of drive some of that DeFi uh, activity. Uh, you actually put out a great thread about like the potential for a Cosmos DeFi summer, which, you know, you kind of need, you need leverage for that to happen. That's just kind of how, um, what played like a key ingredient uh, in, in the last DeFi summer. So um, it'll be interesting once, you know, that ecosystem really starts to mature and Osmosis as a, as a whole kind of has some very interesting things going on. They're, they're talking about how to like cut back on admissions since, you know, they're really not competing against anybody else in, as, a, as a DEX in the Cosmos ecosystem. So they've kind of been redirecting admissions to the community pool and doing some interesting things. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch that play out. But I, I you know, this, again, I want to, I want to give Flipside a little special shout out here. They make things like this possible and really allow analysts to have a job basically. Uh, but even better than that, they, they allow anybody to go on chain and study what's happening. And that's what's really interesting to me is the fact that they can do all this for free, right? You get unlimited query execution at premium speeds for free. You get unlimited dashboards for free. It's, it's the best querying platform out there. And I, I, you know, there is no second best in the world words of Michael Saylor. Uh, and be sure to check out their new web app. Uh, it continually is improving. It's still in beta, but uh, every day I, I log on there and see a new little 
a little, a little improvement they've made. And I just, you know, it's a, it's a great way to really get your hands on and start studying blockchain data. All right. I think that's a good time to cut it. Thanks for coming on, guys. Over to Somalier. Welcome back, everyone. We are joined by Zaki and Sun. The co-found, Zaki is the co-founder of Somalier and a very active participant all throughout the Cosmos Interchain. Uh, and Sun is the co-founder and CEO of Seven Seas, which is an investment firm that is building strategies on top of Somalier. So we have this really interesting uh, perspectives from, you know, right, we have the builder of the base layer. Uh, and then sort of someone on that application level that's really taking what the base layer is offering and building off of it. Uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Really looking forward to this one. Uh, maybe I'll throw it to you first, Saki. Can you kind of give us a little bit of a brief intro of, you know, what Somalia is? Uh, and then we can kind of dive into some of the exciting developments that you all have going on. Yeah, so Somalia is a product that we've been building for this, uh, you know, it's been almost two years. Um, and like, so this is a big milestone because like, much of the like this is like finally the culmination of like all the core pro protocol features are actually sort of coming out this month uh uh it's uh uh the um so what what is sommelier sommelier i guess our, our sort of buzzwords are actively managed asset management on chain um and you know providing access to DeFi, right um and so the the uh, the whole point is that like on Ethereum and other EVMs, which is what we support, we support EVMs right now. Um, we there are a variety of different financial positions that you can take, um, but how do you decide? Um, you know what assets to hold, uh, uh, what assets to hold, what uh, uh, where to find yield, all of this stuff, um, and how do you monitor and how do you how do you react to that? And so. You know, the the sort of the vision that started with, with uh, uh, Sommelier is myself and the rest of the team that built this thing, um, you know, started out watching DeFi Summer and spending, you know, hours, you know, clicking on, you know, clicking and signing, clicking on your ledger and signing, clicking on your ledger and signing, you know, oh, there's this, now I got to move my money between these things, you know, and like, you know, it, 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 it you know, it was really fun, but it also takes over your life. And it's like, okay, this is not like a, a, a thing for the real world, right? This is not, this is like, this was a fun thing to do during like the pandemic when no one could go outside, but this is not, not going to be how we're going to spend the rest of our lives. And so Sommelier was sort of born with that vision of the, you know, uh, of how do we make DeFi really accessible and sustainable um, without having to compromise, without having com to compromise at all on like robustness, resiliency, transparency, self-custody. Yeah, fantastic. And, you know, it's built as a Cosmos app chain. Uh, so I'm really curious, you know, how does that kind of give it some uh, advantages over maybe something that's just a, a single contract or a series of contracts built on Ethereum? Yeah, I mean, so I think like one of the biggest things that we have is um, we like EVMs and Ethereum in particular are still like sort of the home of DeFi. Um, and, you know, at very, you know, we, we see expanding DeFi, lots of exciting DeFi stuff happening in the IBC ecosystem, lots of expand stuff, like, and like, I, I believe that DeFi will expand into the world beyond, uh, the EVM world, but it's like, look, that's where the TVL is. That's where the usage is. Um, and there's, and like, honestly, there's a maturity there that has allowed us to like, to do things. Um, but why have an app chain? Um, and so, you know, there's a, 
it's one of the things that we've done is like, so if you're a user of sommelier, you don't, you don't have to uh, uh, worry about the app chain at all. You know, you don't have to stake some, you don't have to bridge tokens, you don't have to do anything. Like you go in, MetaMask pops up, you can interact with it. You can buy strategy tokens on DEXs. Like, you know, you just like aren't, uh, the app chain is not like in your face. Um, but if you're a strategist or uh, if you're a strategist, um, you're that's who's interacting. If you're a strategist, you're a validator, you're a SOM staker, you're participating in governance. These are the people who are uh, uh, who are providing the infrastructure to make this app happen. And that all of that incentive alignment so everything from, you know, like rev, so, you know, there's like lots of cool stuff that we do. Like we do rev shares from these strategies. So like if the strategy is successful and it, and as it generates management fees, like those get shared out to sommelier stakers. Um, uh, we have mechanisms by which we can fail over strategists. So if like a strategist, you know, disappears, um, uh, you know, the strategy doesn't immediately become sort of just like unmoored and like, you know, it can be put into a safe state. Um, you know, there's a lot of, so these kinds, this, this, you, that piece, this whole like utility layer and incentive alignment layer for the validators and strategists run on the chain. And so, you know, before we kind of get into some of the more exciting innovation that's really coming, um, you know, within, within probably days of this podcast releasing, uh, I just want to like get a further understanding of like, what does it look like if I'm a user, you know, I come to the app chain, I deposit my funds to deploy into a strategy. Uh, how do those funds actually move from my deposit to uh, you know, being actively used by the strategy. So I can I can already just uh, make one amendment there, which is that as a user, uh, you don't actually interact with the app chain. Uh, there's a smart contract, which is a vault. You know, it's the same thing as a vault product, which sits on the Ethereum chain uh, right now. And you interact with that smart contract directly, right? So as a user, you come to that smart contract, you deposit into that smart contract, you receive uh, tokens that represent your share, and then that smart contract is doing interesting things and running interesting strategies. And the, the key aspect of like what's interesting about the strategies, that's where the SOM chain comes in, right? Um, so I think we can get into more about architecture. But as a user, you don't even have to know that an app chain exists, right? You can just interact with that smart contract and rest assured that your funds are secured on uh, Ethereum like main chain, right? That's super interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask the question, like if you're deploying like a multi-chain strategy, the first thing that comes into my head is like, is that safe? So I wanted to ask you a bit about bridge risks, if there is any bridge risks and how you're thinking about security. Yeah, uh, multi-chain is kind of, I, and I'll let Zucky get more into it. Multi-chain is kind of, um, you know, on the, in one of the, on the roadmap for Somalia and for like, you know, 7Cs to run multi-chain strategies. Uh, right now, our strategies are all running on ETH mainnet. Uh, we have plans of supporting other EVMs, you know, like Avalanche, Arbitrum, et cetera. But uh, right now, there are no multi-chain strategies. And that being said, uh, there are no bridged assets in this like strategy architecture. Uh, so the Somalia is a uh, L1 Cosmos chain, right? And it is uh, the, the bridge that bridges Somalia to the Ethereum uh, ecosystem is called the Gravity Bridge. It's a it's actually a fork of the Gravity Bridge that people may have heard of, but this is a proprietary bridge to Sommelier, and it is a message passing bridge. So the way it works is strategists will submit signals to the Sommelier blockchain. The Sommelier validators uh, come to consensus on whether those signals should be accepted, and those signals are rebalanced. They could be rebalances, trades, etc. When consensus is achieved, 
that signal is then uh, passed through the bridge to the Ethereum side to be executed on that smart contract. So in this whole flow, right, uh, like user assets are sitting in that smart contract Ethereum and on Ethereum, and it's the signals that strategists come up with that are the ones that are propagated through the SOM side over the bridge and into the Ethereum side. So no bridged assets in this in this workflow. Yeah, and I think that's kind of one of the core value propositions really around um, why like the advantage of, of really Somalia, right? Like, so, you know, if you're someone who's only ever used Ethereum, you do have this like thought process of, hey, I really don't want to bridge my assets off. And, and this gives you the ability to kind of get this, this benefit of the, you know, a strategist managing uh, kind of the, the deployment of your funds, yet you don't have to actually bear any bridge risk. And I think that's like the really uh, kind of like a unique perspective that's uh, something we really haven't seen. Uh, so if you want to get a little deeper into, you know, what the development that's coming out, you know, we have Sellers V2 launching. Zaki, do you want to kind of give us like a, a an intro of how this kind of takes the the protocol to the next level? Yeah. So Similia has been live since July. Um, and it's been an incremental process of delivering strategy. So our first sort of proof of concept strategy was a, was a smart contract that all it could do was, hey, Ave. Uh, 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 here's a bunch of Ave positions actively rebalanced between them. Um, then what we uh, were able to do, then what we went to from there was portfolio management strategies. So um, we have these like ETC trend, ETC momentum, uh, uh, portfolio management strategies uh, for Matic and Uni and ETH and Bitcoin. So there's like, and there's like, you know, uh, a number of those, we have, you know, two different strategists that are not here uh, uh, providing uh, strategies for those, hoping to onboard more. Um, and those, that's not going away in any way, shape, or form. Um, but really, one of the big things that Sennelier wanted to do was not just trading strategies, but what we wanted to do was provide access to DeFi. Um, and so in order to provide access to DeFi, we had to, uh, uh, Kevin Kennis and Crispy Mangos from our smart contract team, um, dreamed up this architecture, which I think you're starting to see across like more and more, it's become sort of like the state of the art of vaults, which is uh, what people call the adapter architecture, where you basically have this like pluggable sort of uh, Lego blocks that by which vaults can plug in. So now we have this whole pipeline, which is uh, like the U the interface in is what's called an ERC4626 token that is like a, is a token standard for vaults. Those, those represent the uh, the NEV of the whole position. And the whole position is can actually be across every DeFi protocol that there's an adapter. Uh, so we have like Aave Lend, Aave Borrow, Compound Lend, Compound Borrow, Trade on Uniswap, LP on Uniswap, right? So like basically the full surface area of all of the possible interactions. So now as a strategist, if you're, you know, you're seven Cs, you can get to come up with like sort of the entire possibility space of the combination of those two. The minute we get another adapter audited, we don't even have to like redeploy the strategy. You can deploy that adapter, plug it into the Legos. And now there's another source of yield and another source of yield and another source of yield. And as long as there's more DeFi stuff coming out that we can plug into on Ethereum and other EVMs, we can plug them all in even to existing sellers. But so there's like a whole, like everything from, what, we, what I think we're uh, the forthcoming product from Seven Cs, which is uh, the real yield USD, which is going to be the first use case for uh, uh, sellers V two. But like you can build something that uses, you know, a, 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 you can build a product that goes short 
um, using, you know, uh, borrowing and selling. You can build, you know, there's just, you know, leveraged long positions. You could build a, a, a product that like tries to insure against DPEG risk of a stable coin. Like there's all kinds of stuff that you can build. Um, and so like, yeah, there's like today is a big milestone in terms of just like the possibility of space of everything that can possibly be built on top of Sonilia and every, and each adapter sort of exponentially kind of ex increases the possibilities. So for the adapters themselves, like what, what would the long-term goal be? Would that be to, you know, your team keeps continuing to build these out or eventually does it hit like an inflection point where if I am a DeFi protocol, um, you know, it's in my best interest to like build this adapter and connect to Somalia. Um, I think we're going to be, we're hoping that we can demonstrate that that is uh, a, a, a really important thing for uh, like a really important. So here, what, there's two reasons why I think this is like, like why we believe that like we should be able to see, start seeing community and DeFi protocols sort of bring in their own adapters relatively quickly. Um, and the reason we, uh, uh, we, we, we think that's the case is that, um, you know, most DeFi protocols, it's pretty hard to like, you know, guiding users through these DeFi protocols is just a challenge for every team. Like, I want to take this position. Okay, like, where do I click in your thing to like achieve that position, right? Uh, and then like monitor that position, unwind that position. Is that position still the best position? Uh, you know, that all of these things are, are huge challenges for every DeFi protocol when they're onboarding their user bases. And Sommelier is basically a solution for that. And we're an infrastructure for that. And, um, you know, the world I want is not a, a world where most of the of the strategies that are using Sommelier, you know, have come from app.sommelier.finance. I'm, I want a world in which every DeFi protocol is like, look, I built my new DeFi primitive. I'm also going to spin up a sommelier strategy. You know, we don't need to be integrated into their website or UI or anything or you know, like, you know, nothing other than telling governance, okay, run this strategy. Here's the, here's the fee split. Like, this is why it'll make you money. Go run it. Like, we're just like the protocol at the end of the day is just, you know, infrastructure as a service for securely providing uh, 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 non-custodial active management. And I just I just want to add to that, that it's already the case in the Somalia ecosystem that people can come and build adapters. Um, we did, a, there was a hackathon actually at ETH Lisbon uh, for this very thing. And there were teams there that actually built adapters that, uh, you know, will be audited in the coming months and hopefully released. But already, you know, for individuals, teams, protocols, there are already opportunities to come and build adapters and integrate into the uh, the strategies strategy ecosystem that we have. So it sounds to me like Sommelier is only as good as its actual strategies. So how do you actually incentivize strategists to come and you know come up with new innovative strategies that can be utilized by users? So you know, um, like like a lot of Vault products, uh, Sommelier sellers uh, have the opportunity for management fees and performance fees. Uh, there's a, essentially a whole governance process to get a strategy accepted onto the SOM chain. Uh, basically, you deploy the smart contract. That smart contract contains the parameters for what fees are going to be taken. So, you know, is it 2 and 20, a management performance fee, whatever it is. Then there's a voting period, right? The Somalia community has to say these numbers are reasonable. We're going to accept the strategy. And then the strategy runs, right? And again, users can come to Ethereum and deposit. 
the strategist can execute actions through the Somalia blockchain uh, on that smart contract and they have opportunities to earn. Um, so that's like a standard model, right? But I, what I think is is particularly appealing about Somalia that you don't have in existing um, offerings, right? Is this ability to take your off-chain computation, right? Keep that like optimization or whatever strategy you have in your backend uh, proprietary, right? But execute that on-chain in a transparent and decentralized way, right? So, you know, whether that's some, you know, interesting trading strategy you have where you don't want to release exactly the, the parameters of it because you can get front run or whatever, you lose your alpha, you can actually keep that off-chain, right? And all that you have to submit on-chain is the result of those computations. Uh, so that's one piece. It's the ability to keep your, your algorithms proprietary. The other piece is that Sommelier is, you know, through this adapter architecture currently and is going to continue to uh, support increasingly more uh, DeFi integrations, right? So basically the state of the art is like you have two kinds of things. You have active management, uh, portfolio management, right? These are protocols like, you know, Enzyme or DHedge. And then you have like vault-based products which are more static, right? The logic is pretty much all encoded in the smart contract, things like urine, you know, beefy, whatever, whatever vault products you have. But Somalia is the first product where it's the, the best of both worlds here. You have active off-chain computation, whether that's machine learning or whatever, and you have access to all of DeFi limited only by, you know, what adapters we have built or what, what adapters exist. And you can always build one yourself if you want. So, Son, as a strategist, you know, what are you most excited about with Sellers V2? Uh, is, are there any strategies, you know, maybe specifically around like stable coins that you've been backtesting and are ready to deploy? That's a great question. That is exactly the case. Um, so I've, you know, I've I've been like involved in the small ecosystem for a very long time. Uh, as Zucky mentioned, we've been waiting a long time for the Sellers V2 vision to come to fruition. Uh, in fact, Seven Seas is the one operating that kind of inaugural Ave Seller which is really more of like a proof of concept of the system. But what we actually wanted to launch back then was this new stablecoin product, which is now enabled by Sellers V2, which we call uh, the Real Yield USD Seller. So, you know, the name kind of tells you what that does. Basically, this strategy is going to be, uh, it accepts USDT, USDC, and DAI. And those are the assets that the strategy will have exposure to. And it maximizes yield on Aave, Compound and Uniswap V3 LPing, um, you know, with no leverage, uh, again, no short positions or anything like that. It's purely lending on Aave and Compound and then LPing on Uniswap V3. But, um, you know, we have some very promising results from this. I can say that there's a lot of alpha in Uni V3, which does kind of require some off chain computation to fully take advantage of. Uh, I think we're all really excited to launch this first product, uh, which will be the first of many. On so it's a really interesting concept, especially with Uni V3. I do agree that there's this lot of a lot of hidden, hidden alpha there. You know, the common, um, you know, CT crypto Twitter, you know, statements are always like IL is eating you up and whatnot. But uh, the reality of the matter is there's there's a lot more complications that are going on behind the scenes, uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if there's you know a subset of people that are, are really extracting a majority of those LP fees. So that's really exciting to hear. And creating these you know these vaults that only have exposure to stablecoin. So I, I would assume that means all of the LPing on UDV3, for example, would only be in stable pairs. Is that right? That's exactly right. Yep. It's a it's a stablecoin vault. Um, and 
there's a lot there's you know yeah i think like you said there's there's definitely opportunity uh particularly you know impermanent loss is and that's it that could be its own topic right um but impermanent loss with stable coins is interesting and there are actually ways to be profitable here in fact i think this is uh i think it's one of the you know LPing stable pairs on uniswap I think is one of the only truly profitable things you can do on Uniswap as an LP. That might be a, you know, it's a bit of a cynical position, but at least that's, that's how I feel about it. Maybe the only thing truly profitable thing you can do purely on chain. How do you think about Delta neutral strategies? Like, do you guys ever, you know, stake an asset and then potentially go short that asset and capture the yield? Or, you know, you see a lot of vaults being built on top of products like GLP in the case of GMX. Like, how are you guys thinking about that? Um, so yeah, that without that'll be that comes down to you know, okay. So they're like, there are three things that's like, you know, it's like it's it's January twenty twenty three. The crypto market is in meltdown, and Similia, we have like three things to launch: uh, <laughs> uh, sellers v two, which we've been talking about, um, and then staking rewards uh, are coming to the platform. So I, I I had mentioned that we uh, you know that fees accrue to the stakers. Um, on the platform right now, fees have been accruing, but nothing has been distributed to the stakers. Um, and so we have this, we have a, we have a, a release that's coming out, um, that'll, that'll sort of activate staking rewards. Um, and that's, that's, that's also like imminent days, weeks away. Um, and then the third piece is multi-chain, um, and probably the most asked for adapter to the protocol from strategists is uh, GMX, uh, support. So, you know, getting, so to do GMX support, we have to do two things. We have to launch, um, on the Similia protocol support for multiple EVM chains right now. We're just on ETH L1. Um, and the second thing we have to do is, um, is, uh, is, is write that GMX adapter. Um, so those are the, those, those are like two pieces that are all and it's like all of that stuff is like 95 percent done yeah basically it's it's like hard to do you know like act like like aggressively hedged um any kind of aggressive hedging on eth right um there's no great way of t going short there's no like interesting options available everything's just too expensive so nobody's built these things um i mean you could do like over collateralized shorting on ave or whatever but that's not that interesting but you know, as Zaki mentioned, as soon as we have access to some of these other chains where it's less expensive to do these things, that's a whole new world of possibilities uh, that we're excited for and that we'll get access to in the not too distant future. If you can't tell, we love data here at Blockroots Research and Chainalysis, the leading blockchain analytics company, shares this passion with us. We use data to extract alpha and find the next thing coming in DeFi, but Chainalysis is doing the gritty work and building trust in blockchains. To onboard the next trillion dollars of capital into the industry, we need to grow safe consumer access to cryptocurrency and promote more financial freedom with less risk. Chainalysis has some of the most comprehensive and reliable data in the space, and they use this data to power a full suite of their solutions that can be utilized by industry professionals. Best-in-class training and certifications are also led by Chainalysis and some of the brightest minds in the space. If you haven't heard of Chainalysis, you got to check them out, and we'll link to them in the show notes. Capital is really this finite resource that all of these DeFi protocols are kind of like, you know, attempting to acquire. So it makes a lot of sense to me that you would start on Ethereum. You know, TBL on Ethereum is something around $24 billion. Uh, I think the the, the runner-up in that category is uh, Binance Chain coming around $2 billion. So, you know, it does make a lot of sense to start there. 
Um, but, you know, I think there's a pretty good case around having the Cosmos ecosystem itself having its own little uh, a DeFi summer, if you will, right? With the, the launch of Interchain Security, you know, uh, Mars Protocol coming to the platform. So now you have lending, both both lending and a DEX through Osmosis. Like now it kind of to starts to see like there's getting some traction uh, in this in this in this area. Um, do you think adapt? I assume adapters are certainly possible in the Cosmos ecosystem. Uh, but does that process look any different? A Cosmos. Um, so I'll say like one of the biggest tricks that I am. Uh, so when we build uh, uh, Cosmos support into Sommelier, it is going to be look very differently than the product we have on the EVM. Um, and one of the biggest things is that like, we don't build sellers right now that, you know, we don't build strategies that can hold positions that cross chains. Um, but if you want to build something most likely for Cosmos to like, this represents like an interesting question. This is like, kind of like why, building something on some, on top of Sommelier was possible on top of the EVM ecosystem at its current level of maturity, uh, but like hard on top of, of Cosmos because there's so many unknowns, right? And like one of the big unknowns for me is like, are there going to be like non-trivial strategies that don't, that can, that are non-trivial strategies going to be primarily on, on all on one chain. So like, do we just need to build like c connectors to Osmosis for instance, and then there'll be like an Astroport out, uh, uh, and a Mars outpost and all of that stuff. And basically people will just run osmosis strategies um, via that. And if we, if that was the world we end up in, um, we can build a very similar user experience to what we currently offer on top of ETH, on top of, uh, of chains like osmosis, injective, et cetera. But Cosmos being Cosmos, we might also end up in a world where, um, where every, uh, uh, where like you have to, in order to coherently build a strategy, you have to actually have positions that cross chains. Um, and if that's the world that we end up in, then um, the one big thing that is a really important, like right now, the way uh, uh, Sommelier works is any user of any strategy can enter or leave at any time. Now, this is not like an immutable fact of the, of like the strategy concept or anything. Like there might be good reasons to change this user experience. Um, for various strategies. Um, but we started out at this, at this position of you can weave at any time, you know, it's, you know, and like, there are a lot of interesting composability things that come out of that. Like, for instance, you could take leverage on the strategy token itself, right? Because a liquidator can liquidate from this, can like go from the strategy token to the underlying more liquid assets um, very easily. So these things are cool, but if we want to do that, you know, if anything you want to do multi-chain, you end up building a system in which there's like an, a window of time in which you can exit and a win and there's like a queue that you wait in to exit. And then like you, so you like, it's like more like unstaking and staking where you're like, I unstake. And then like, at, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the hour of where you're allowed to bring your funds out, like happens and like all everyone's funds comes out. Uh, and like, I put my funds in, but like everything doesn't get deployed and I don't get my LP shares for like until that like window happens. Um, and so it's been a little bit of an interesting question. And I think it's a big open question for Cosmos, uh, which user experience we target. So this has been the, uh, uh, the to me, the like sort of little bit of existential debate um, about how you build something like Sommelier for Cosmos. And mostly I'd like to just see more DeFi running on Cosmos um, to be able to like 
understand roughly what we're building towards. Yeah, really valid points there. But one thing you mentioned got me thinking, and it's, okay, so if I'm a user, I deposit into, I have, you know, let's say USDC on Ethereum, I deposit those into a sommelier contract. So, of course, I never took bridge risk because my fund's already on Ethereum. Um, as the strategy is generating revenue, um, you know, the, the strategist or the SOM stakers and validators are entitled to a portion of that revenue. So how does that revenue flow from the, the, the vault on Ethereum back to those, uh, you know, stakeholders? So, so those folks get to experience the joys of bridge risk to a certain extent. Um, so basically what happens is periodically we sweep up. So like funds, like, uh, accrual is happening constantly. So like, Fees are constantly getting accrued. Um, they can be pulled up into uh, uh, fees are getting accrued at the Ethereum layer. Then periodically, the protocol sweeps those fees up into the Cosmos layer and bridges them. Then we hold an auction on the Cosmos side where we sell all of these different tokens that we've bridged um, for, uh, uh, for uh, we, we sell all of those tokens for SOM. Um, so someone has to show up, take unstaked SOM, buy those tokens, and those uh, uh, those those tokens that they've sold in the auction, those then become the staking reward or like a con contributor to the staking rewards of the protocol. And so, and what we do after the auction is like we sort of smooth out over about a week. Um, the so like you know because uh, you know otherwise you would just get like one block where you had really high yields and then like every other block would be like low yielding much lower yielding um so instead we like smooth out over a week uh the results of every auction and then does a portion of those fees go to like the sommelier treasury and then also with circle chain coming to cosmos is that process going to change in any way or is it going to remain exactly the same no obvious impact on this on this uh, on the circle chain as as a as a thing for sommelier in the short run um, to answer the easy part of that question, um, the uh, sort of, you know, these are parameters that the, the, the community gets to adjust, you know, typical to a Cosmos chain about like what fraction of those tokens end up going into the, in the community treasury. Um, one of the other things that's like sort of a thing with Sommelier is a very large fraction of the initial tokens of plot. So a couple of things, SOM is a non-inflationary token, unlike basically every other Cosmos chain except for Kujira. Uh, apparently Mars will also be non-inflationary. Um, I'm, I'm glad to sort of see this trend towards away from hyperinflationary Cosmos chains uh, and Cosmos tokens, but SOM has been a non-inflationary Cosmos token, 500 million SOM. That's all that exists. Maybe their you know, governance could decide to create more, but like that's not something that we view as in something that we imminently see happening um, or really hopefully see in the foreseeable future. And so as we've been doing liquidity mining, um, uh, there's going to be some capability of using those, uh, tokens, community fund tokens to also supplement staking returns. Um, all of these things are just coming out of a community pool that has about 150 million. Song. Interesting. And that actually, you kind of brought up a point, you know, Cosmos does have a lot of inflationary tokenomics of a lot of its chains. So I was curious if it's kind of hard to get people to deposit for maybe lesser yield, uh, into Somalia when you have staking rates so high on, you know, osmosis, Atom, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I think, so as we launch, um, as we launch the, um, as we, as we launch the, um, uh, staking rewards, um, later this month, 
Um, you know, there's, yeah, there's no, it's, well, we'll see. Um, there's a bunch of parameters that the community gets, to, that the STOM holders get to tweak to set in it. Because right now the staking rate on SOM is really low. So not that much, like either pulling from the, uh, in terms of, of, of fees and, uh, 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 in terms of fees and uh, uh, contributions from the community pool to the to staking rewards um, are needed to drive like relatively competitive APYs. Um, but presumably that would cause the staking rate to rise. Um, uh, and, you know, it'll be an interest, it's going to be an interesting thing. But really I'm hoping... You know, as we've seen, like a lot of the most, the really inflationary tokens in Cosmos really have their, you know, uh, value plummet um, uh, in the bear market um, and liquidity really dry up. I think that the, like one of the most important things that we have to ha see happen this year is a pivot to sort of more sustainable tokenomics in Cosmos. Yeah, I, I think it's hard to dispute that claim right there. Uh, but if we took a, a back step here, um, and let's say well, I want to get back to the vaults for a second. So if I let's say, you know, after this after this recording, I I'm immediately go to uh, back test some crazy Uni V3, uh, you know, strategy that I, I have potentially come up with. Would I be able to just go to the Somalia platform and immediately like launch my vault? Is that process process permissionless or is that something that's uh, like governance gated, governance approved? Yeah, there. So there is a governance uh getting a strategy accepted to sommelier is a governance process. Um, basically what you would do is, um, first of all, the Uniswap V3 adapter is out there and the seller contract is out there. It's all open source, right? Uh, so you would grab those contracts, deploy your own contract um, with the parameters that you decide. So you would pick your fees, right? Um, and then you go to sommelier forum and you say, hey, here's a pure, some backtest results. Here's a contract that I deployed. I want to run this as a SOM strategy. There's usually a discussion period for, you know, about a week. Again, these are just uh, kind of informal things. Uh, then after that discussion period is when the formal vote comes. You would submit uh, your actual governance proposal to have that smart contract accepted by the SOM chain. There's a 48-hour voting period. Uh, if there's enough turnout and enough support, that smart contract will be automatically accepted by the SOM chain and uh, essentially start accepting um, signals from stra from the strategist, which, you know, is you in that case, to uh, start executing actions on that smart contract. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, it seems like the the strategists really do play a very key role in this ecosystem, just granted that if there are no great strategies uh, deployed, then as a user, you know, I may have a million dollars of uh, funds just looking to, you know, find some yield, but uh, you know, this wouldn't be an opportunity for me if I, I didn't feel comfortable with the strategy. So how do you think about attracting more strategists to the ecosystem? Or if I'm a strategist, you know, am I trying to just spray and pray? Or is it about like having one really good, you know, maybe 10% yielding stable coin type, or maybe like beating the Ethereum stake rate uh, strategy, kind of something like that? I think, um, you know, it's, it's a bit of, it's a bit of both. So Generally, um, this is actually an insight that I got from Zaki, which is that, you know, with the the old kind of portfolio management version of sommelier, where it's, you know, trading strategies, portfolio management, those are situations in which it's heavily dependent on like state of the art, bleeding edge alpha, right? Like to make it, you know, as a trader is, is one thing, but um, with Sellers V2 and, you know, DeFi integrations and DeFi infrastructure, you'd be surprised at 
how many like really low hanging fruit strategies there are that just don't exist because the tools haven't existed up to this point, right? Things like looping strategies, things like delta neutral staking. These are these do not require like massive amounts of uh, you know off chain alpha and proprietary information. Really, in some of these pro- some of these cases, it's just you need someone who's doing the the computations, right? And you need a system that's able to run these strategies in a non custodial, decentralized, transparent way. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't. I think there is a world here where it's like, you know, people have ideas in DeFi. People have ideas all the time, especially in this market. The people who are left are the ones who are really deep in the technology, right? They they know their stuff. They care more about things like alpha and, you know, research. Um, and so, you know, we think with V2, there's a huge space of strategies that's been largely unexplored in the space and some really low hanging fruit. So hopefully that attracts, you know, attracts people, you know, seven C's as a team is going to continue to develop these strategies. Uh, you know, we, we have some low hanging fruit ones that we see that no one's doing that we're going to be developing, but you know, with sellers V2, we think that the technology is attractive enough for, um, and offering opportunities for strategists that just don't exist elsewhere. Yeah. If you pull up the DeFi Lama yields dashboard, you know, I, I scroll through there, uh, you know, almost daily and you see these massive arbitrage opportunities that sometimes have decent size to them. And it's, especially in a market like this, right? Like you mentioned, nobody's left. So these opportunities do exist and they very much so are low hanging fruit, which is just this fascinating uh, side of crypto and DeFi that, you know, markets are very much so not efficient at this point in time. Um, So I think this is actually a great use case for bear market strategies. Um, And so as the strategist, like you you get the opportunity to do a lot of this computation off chain, um, even though it's a non-custodial uh, position, right? All the, the funds remain on, you know, currently on Ethereum. Um, and so if you, you know, run some calculations and determine that you need to rebalance a, a specific position or strategy, uh, what does that process look like as a strategist? Because I, I understand you go through the the validators or, or the, the SOM governance. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I can, you know, do seven C's has spent a lot of time, you know, with this integration with SOM. So I can speak in like, it looks good detail. I won't go too into the weeds, but basically um, you, you can you have an algorithm off chain, you make a rebalance decision. Uh, and now you have to get that executed on the smart contract uh, that lives on Ethereum. So the flow is that um, there's a, you know, the validator, the sommelier validators are running software called steward. Uh, steward is essentially the interface between the validators and the strategists. And what stewards, steward allows strategists to do is take those rebalance decisions, uh, send them in some, you know, in some specified way uh, over, you know, technically it's a gRPC call. And uh, so that's the interface, right? So strategists, first of all, can see what they're allowed to call. It's what steward exposes to them. Uh, That can be a function like rebalance. It can be a function called buy or sell. Uh, Essentially, it's providing the interface to validators. Once that's sent to validators through steward, again, so the strategists right now sends the request to all the validators through steward. The validators come to consensus there. Um, and then the process kicks off to actually submit that uh, to Ethereum. So, you know, there's a relayer, the signal goes through the Somalia gravity bridge uh, onto Ethereum and it gets executed. But as far as the strategist is concerned, steward really provides this very simple uh, interface, essentially like, a, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a, as simple as a, HTTP request, right? It's it's uh, it's capabilities that most data science 
or, you know, like fintech or whatever kind of firms already have. Uh, and this is actually another thing that we consider a value prop of this system, which is that you can take people who have very limited blockchain experience, uh, but they have alpha and they have strategies, right? And they're now able to run that through this interface of Stuart. Uh, Zaki, I don't know if you want to add more detail on that. No, I think that was, I mean, you've been, you've been in the battle to execute, um, you know, one of our, one of our strategists, uh, you know, over the last few weeks did have some challenges with the, with the execution process. Um, uh, you know, and that's a big part of the sort of just maturity of the whole protocol and software check is, you know, multiple layers of, you know, one of the reasons this, you know, has taken a while and is like, it's a complicated protocol. And, uh, you know, we started out with this like Aave strategy where like execution risk was zero, right? It was just all in like stable coins and Aave. And it was like, okay, like what, what, what's the worst thing that can happen? Like we miss out on a small amount of yield, right? And then we moved into these uh, uh, trading strategies where, you know, we're both, we're trading like blue chip liquid assets. Again, you know, you, you, there's some opportunity cost potentially too, but you're not like, a risk of catastrophe. With sellers V2, as we start entering into these more exotic positions that you're able to take, the risk of loss on execution risk is, is going to be higher. Um, and, you know, hopefully we can take all of the things that we've learned over the last, you know, six months or so of execution on chain via the SOM protocol um, and provide a higher higher level of, um, of risk. But, you know, we're also, we're starting out, um, you know, Seven Seas' first strategy is going is not doing anything too crazy with these uh, uh, stablecoin positions. I will, I will add one thing, which is that um, there is latency introduced by this system, right? Like we're essentially, Somalia is essentially adding an intermediate layer between the decision to make, to execute an action and then the actual execution that happens on Ethereum. Uh, so right now that latency is on the order of like a few minutes, uh, which can be significant. I mean, that does preclude running, you know, some really high frequency strategies. Um, so, you know, there are strategies right now that aren't actually a good fit for this system, um, but that just kind of comes with the territory. How old do you think about risk? Like, is there any type of insurance fund um, in case of like a smart contract hack or anything like that? And if not, is that like a, a thought to implement maybe in the future? Yeah, we haven't, you know, we've mostly taken an approach to risks that has been investing heavily in auditing. Um, uh, and so, you know, we, we have made a massive and very long-term really in investment in auditing of our protocol, of our work and our protocols. Um, it, you know, the, the concept of insurance, like both doing an insurance fund and one of the other things that we've been actively in conversation with is there are a couple of actual smart contract providers out there as well. And some potential users of the protocol have been interested in like actual insurance. Um, so both of these are, are possibilities um, and potentially something that we would like to do in the future. And then I guess just like when I think of Yearn, like I think I'm pretty sure that a lot of their vaults are managed by like a multi-sig, but then you guys actually have a validator set. Would you say that the decentralization is kind of one of the main value propositions of Somalier? And is that like maybe something that might lure in institutions? So one of the things that we wanted to be able to do with Somalier um, was to be both, to give a lot of comfort to people who are both on the um, strategist side and the user side of like, where the, what are they actually dealing with from a regulatory point of view? Like, are they actually dealing with a decentralized protocol or is this just like uh, uh, an uh, excessively complicated multi-sig? Um, 
And so one of the things that we've really wanted was both, you know, this idea that the strategists are making recommendations to the validator set, the validator set are coming to consensus, um, and then and then trades get executed, right? So there, so you know, what are the things that can that this is is helping? One is, you know, the development of steward can actually implement the kinds of protections against strategists doing something malicious or making a mistake. Um, that you can actually implement on the smart contract layer. There's a lot of things that have come back on the audit layer and it's like, oh, like you can't actually, like here's a malicious thing that a strategist could do. Like, could we prevent this in the smart contract? And it's like, there's a variety of reasons that end up being no, but actually ends up being possible to, to, to sort of make that something that could never get, th that steward would be able to like sort of protect against. So that's like one uh, uh, advantage of the architecture um, and the decentralization. The other thing is it's like, you know, it's just like, the people who are actually participating in the execution, these strategies are always changing just as like validators come and leave and join the system. And there's like sort of a consistency to the system, even though if you change all the actors. So like strategists leave, new strategists come in, like the whole system just keeps working. Um, and I think that's really the difference between something like Yearn, which is very dependent on like unorganizational structure, which is embedded in the DAO, but is like a static organizational structure and a protocol like Sommelier, where like all the players can come and go and the system will just autonomously keep going. So Sam mentioned institutions as potential uh, potential advocates for, you know, depositing into Sommelier. I'm curious if you've ever thought of, you know, DAO treasuries as a point of emphasis. You know, there's some $10 billion in DAO treasuries and there's just such an, yeah, it's an, such an exciting opportunity. This, I think we're seeing, you're going to see like we, like, we are all part of what is likely to be for the, at least the next, you know, at least until interest rates turn around is likely to be the great uh, Dow treasury land grab. And, uh, um, you know, we are, we are going, we are, we are going to, we are riding into that war like everyone else. Um, you know, we've, we've seen, you know, like, you know, almost everyone in DeFi is like fighting over, like trying to manage a chunk of the uh, maker PSM. Um, and we're certainly thinking about that. Uh, there's a lot of NFT treasuries out there. There's a lot like, you know, it's like in a world where, you know, treasury rates are hitting four and a half percent, you know, it is pulling money out of crypto in general. Um, and the, and the, uh, you know, what remains, what's captive is like what a lot of DeFi is fighting over. Um, and so, uh, and we're, we're here to, go fight that fight too. And uh, yeah, we, I agree that Dow treasuries are going to be, and we think that things like uh, uh, the, the real yield USD uh, seller are going to be differentiated products that will offer a better place in the sort of risk return uh, paradigm than uh, co other competing opportunities. Do any of the, you know, current back tests give any indication of what a potential yield on this real yield USD uh, seller could, could kind of lead to? Uh they do. Uh, we are going to be releasing uh, all of that information very soon, um, probably tomorrow, actually, uh, on the Somalia forum. So I'm going to just uh, leave a little Come bit on, there. You to can be... like leave the, give some high-level numbers. All right. Come on. Give um, it to us. Give it to us. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. Caveats is that I don't know, you know, the back test, it's very hard to adjust to like factor in market impact, right? So it's really hard to say how this thing's going to perform on like tens of millions of dollars. But uh, in our current tests, you know, we're looking at something like 6% uh, on stables. And a lot of that is coming 
from being able to do uh, UniV3 uh, optimizations and you know optimizing tick ranges, basically. Now that is that is exciting. Yeah, that's super exciting, uh, especially during a bear market. I feel like that could fill up pretty quick. Are you guys going to have any caps on that? And then also, I was curious how much thought went into kind of the design of providing historical performance of a, a particular vault. Because if I'm looking to deposit into one, of course, I want to see, well, is this done well? Is this done bad? Um, we we aren't we don't have plans for capping for capping right now. Uh, I think the the nice thing with the smart contract architecture is that can kind of be flexible. Like you can never kick out deposits, but uh, there is flexibility for a strategist to kind of set a cap dynamically, um, which we think is like a feature. Um, so no plans yet, but we'll have to see how, you know, how interest actually affects the performance. And uh, could you repeat the question about, um, you know, I think it was about historical performance. Yeah, absolutely. I was just curious, like what kind of tools you provide uh, different users in order to kind of look at historical performance of different vault strategies? Yeah, so um, our front end as it, you know, the SOM front end as it currently exists, uh, essentially tracks, you know, there's a, there's a couple of metrics there. Um, the existing products track token price. So by token price, what I mean is this, the strategy share token. Um, you, you can actually, you know, the way it works is that when you go and mint shares in the contract, there's a price for that token. So performance is easily tracked by just looking at the price of that token, right? For how the, the value of the assets that you can redeem it for. Um, there's, I believe this currently plans to completely revamp uh, the UI because again, sellers V2 is this new thing. Um, so there's a lot more metrics there, you know, like benchmarks, um, things like not just token price, but, um, you know, like a history of rebalance decisions. Right. Um, so, but I will say that the whole, all that information is also available on chain at the smart contract level. So that's, you know, this is a virtue of vaults. You can just go and see everything that happens and it's, it's much easier to do that with these sellers than it is a lot of other products. Like it's not so easy to do that with urine uh, from what I can tell, but with sellers, you know, all the decisions happen. You like, it's very easy to go on Etherscan and see is, is my point. Uh, nothing's hidden. You can also uh, go take a look at, we have DeFi Llama integration as well. Yeah, we like to shout out DeFi Llama all the time. They're doing God's work over there, but uh, I feel like we've already taken up a lot of your time. Do you guys want to tell people where they can find you? Uh, I'm at ZMunion on Twitter. It's usually the best one. Uh, Z-M-A-N-I-A-N on Twitter is the best place to find me. I'm at Call Me Sun with two N's on Twitter. Uh, I don't tweet anything, but you know I'm very active and I, I'm, I'm an observer. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming back on. We'll have to do it again soon.